Hello and welcome to Superposition, the show where we examine multiple perspectives on each topic. I'm your host Hansen, and I'm your host Seed. Hansen and I are both familiar with seeing multiple perspectives on everyday subjects because we were both born and raised in China and have studied and now working in the U.S. As common as that sounds, we haven't seen enough inquisitive discussions to explore those differences. We live in a world that is simultaneously more connected and yet seemingly more divided than ever. That's right. So we thought, why not create a show where we learn from different people and their perspectives, and have candid conversations to try to understand each other? Maybe we would all learn something new. Yep, and some of us may have heard this quote. The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time, and still retain the ability to function. This quote, originally by American writer F. Scott Fitzgerald, captures our intentions well. We hope our discussions are entertaining, informative, and at times inspiring. For our first episode, we discuss the COVID responses in the U.S. and in China with our group friend Billy. Hoping to learn why the two countries handle this pandemic differently, what are the perceptions and misconceptions towards each other? Most importantly, we want to learn from each other, find common grounds, and respect our differences. Uh, I'm Billy.、Uh, I think we said before. I met Hanson in college. Uh, we were roommates in college. We were in the same engineering program.、Um, then worked at IBM for a little while. Moved over to Intel over here in Massachusetts,、uh, doing、um, chip verification、uh, design work.、Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And I like to play video games in my free time. So、um, I'm going to kick us off.、Uh, seed. Actually,、yeah. one of the first、uh, sort of real secondhand account, I, I suppose, firsthand for you,、uh, experience with COVID、uh, was about a year ago.、Yeah. Um, you know, COVID started to become a thing. I remember working at the time I was in Boston. You know, working in the U.S. and people hear about this COVID thing, right? right? I don't even think people called it COVID back then. I think people called it the coronavirus.、Um, right. And it's this boogeyman thing that wasn't really real. Some people were freaking out. Uh, some people were like, "Oh, it's just the flu."、Uh, and why don't you tell us about your story?、Uh, because at the time, you, you had a pretty close encounter with it. Yeah, so I, I brought the COVID back to U.S. In case you guys don't know,、uh, <laughs> you、um, were the one. Patient yeah, the zero. One.、Uh, yeah, no.、Um, so it's pretty funny because、um, I traveled back to China、um, 2019, end of 2019. I think I arrived at China.、Uh, Probably January the second, twenty twenty, something like something like that. And plan I plan to stay there for twenty some days. Okay.、Uh, I plan this long long vacation back in China with my with my family. And luckily, I decided to go back to China earlier.、Uh, go back to U.S. earlier than I planned. So I basically flew back to U.S. two days before the border shut down. Oh wow!、Um, so what's interesting about this is I I saw. The initial response from from China,、um, how how they handled the the COVID cases. Basically, there was some some sense of denial in the in the beginning. I would say,、mm-hmm. but once once the government realized it's a real thing,、uh, things happened really quickly.、Um, basically, I think right before I 
like I was the last few people uh, can't fly out basically uh, from from both sides. Uh, like mm-hmm. China instituted some some kind of rules, you cannot really fly leave your leave your city. Um, so then I I went back to U.S. Uh, nobody took took this seriously, right? Because you know it, it was a weird virus in a you know weird country, uh, you know. According to a lot of Americans, so nobody took it. Nobody, nobody cared. Uh, I was the only one wearing a face mask going to the office. Um, I remember, like, uh, I told told my colleagues, you know, I don't want to take the tea. To uh, you know, I, I basically bought a parking pass for like four hundred dollars per month or something like crazy like that to be able to park downstairs. So I drive to work. I wear wear a face mask. Um, I was laughed at, but you know, time time. Uh, two months passed, right? Like U.S. became the hot zone of, of COVID. So it's funny. Yeah, it's a funny experience like to see, basically experience the, the, the pandemic happening from scratch uh, twice. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And people just make the same exact mistakes uh, twice. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I remember it was pretty crazy when uh, Seed, you were on your way back. Didn't you have to fly yeah. into Hawaii or somewhere, find a new flight, a different right. path? Yeah, I flew to Hawaii to uh, be able to fly back to the U.S. Had they like already started canceling flights at that point? Yeah, because uh, oh, okay. there's so, so, so much uncertainty, and the, uh, the airlines doesn't want to take the risk. Right. right, if, they right. Get, if they get grounded, they will like the, the crew will not be able to operate, and that's a huge loss for them. I see. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, Billy, thinking back to and this was. Seed, was it late January or early February last year? Yeah, this so the border shut down January 31th. And I okay. I was I was back in Boston like 29th or something like that. Okay. <laughs> Billy, do you remember where you were back then? Like was there what was your experience of COVID back then? In at that time, at the end of January, I was Funny enough, I think I was actually doing job interviews, uh, looking to change jobs. Um, but I mean, that was still when we were getting just like the early reports of COVID out of China. So like, there just wasn't that much information. You know, it was like there's this disease over in China, which again, the perception here is that like, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, this is like I don't know the third time we've had reports of something like this. Like, you know, very similar. Whether it was, you know. Um, SARS or, you know, swine flu or, or, you know, whatever. Um, so judging back personally, you know, those things kind of amounted to nothing here, you know, like we heard about it on the news and then a month or two later, it just kind of went away. We didn't, we didn't hear about it again. So that was kind of what I thought it was going to be like, you know, it's like, Oh, this is happening on the other side of the world. I don't really need to worry about it yet. Um, but I think now looking back, uh, people have started to realize that at that time, there were probably already cases in the United States. There were probably already cases all over the world at that point. Um, so, um, and as an aside, I also have uh, an interesting story about seeing um, seeing kind of the ramp up of COVID in two places, because uh, at the end of February, actually, my maybe it was the end of January or beginning of February. Uh, I was on a work trip to uh, Germany for IBM. And uh, 
this was kind of just as the news was starting to get big there as well. Obviously, you know, it's when it started getting big all around the world. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my coworkers at the German office, his girlfriend was exposed to it. And then so I was already exposed by second degree because I had like lunch with this guy. Um, I didn't get it at that time, luckily. But, you know, I was talking to the, you know, the German guys and they, I would say they had a very similar reaction to what I saw from people in the United States. Um, it was a little more guarded. You know, they were definitely more cautious, but um, I don't think they realized the extent of it at that point either. Um, you know, I, I remember I was talking with one of them because I was on my business trip and then they were going to have one coming to the United States. Uh, you know, in like a couple weeks. And I'm like, oh, like, do you think you're going to cancel your trip? And he was just like, I mean, almost definitely. Because at this point, I was still like, uh, you know, still kind of whatever. Still thought, you know, it's just like the flu. Didn't really know that much about it. Um, and I remember thinking, it's like, oh, wow, he's he's canceling it. That's, that's kind of crazy. And yeah. then it turns out, like, two or three days after I got back, uh, IBM shut down all international travel anyway. So, uh they stopped doing that. Um, so both of you guys got back just in the nick of time. We did. We did. Um, I don't. Well, so that was just IBM shutting down travel. I don't think they stopped flights between Europe and the United States that soon. Um, but I also remember seeing people with masks on the plane. Um, I think. I mean, it was only one or two. But I remember thinking, like, well, that seems a little excessive. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly they had the right idea. Um, and again, like I said, it wasn't widespread, you know, it was like one or two people. Um, and then I got really paranoid. I thought I had COVID. I went to the emergency room and, uh, in Poughkeepsie and they told me, you know, they made a big fuss about it. They, they made me wait outside, put me in a wheelchair and like wheeled me into what? this room, everyone wearing like full, cause this, I found out later, this was the first reported case in, in the County, <laughs> um, so they were taking it super seriously. Turns out I didn't have it. Um, I was just paranoid. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really funny. They came in and like thanked me. They're like, the good news is probably don't have it. And thanks for being our guinea pig for testing out all these protocols for COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that's, uh, that was my early impression. And I mean, I think once I went to the hospital and I saw you know, how seriously they were taking it there, was kind of when I started to realize how serious it was um, and that I personally needed to be taking it more seriously too. Um, and then also I moved to Boston shortly after that. So um, coming to Boston and seeing everyone wear masks here and everyone social distancing here was good because, you know, Poughkeepsie is a little more rural. So there's more space between people kind of just by definition and uh, people just didn't really feel the need to wear masks yeah, I think so actually similarly, even back in China, people didn't really take it seriously in the beginning. Uh, even after there's like, a, I think people in Wuhan take it seriously pretty much after uh, initial outbreak. But mm. people from other cities had this feeling that, you know, it's still far away from us. But I think yeah. what's different is once the government declared this is a crisis, right? This is this is something we need to um, take take care of. Uh-huh. Uh, no matter how much we have to sacrifice, people listened, uh, for better or worse. They, they, listened, they trusted, mostly, the government decision to take this seriously, and the attitude changed. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So Seed and, and Billy, you had different experiences, but there was a moment where uh, stuff got real, if you will, right? In the beginning, yeah. we, we hear about these diseases. That's a really good point. I, I think a lot of the times uh, we tend to forget that COVID's not even close to the first disease in the recent decades that's sort of come out and sounded really scary on the news um, and just kind of didn't end up in, at least in the US, right? Uh, SARS was really scary, but didn't really do much damage around the world. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember back when, when you guys were experiencing these things in late January and early February, I didn't think anything of the disease. You know, I, I saw it on the news. Um, I, I was in the US, US already, and I just, I wasn't worried at all. Um, I was joking with people about it. Oh, you know, this is just a, a new, yet another flu. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, and I remember going to Trader Joe's and seeing the first people showing up with face masks and thinking like, wow, that's, that's one way to freak people out. You know, at the time I was <laughs> like, wow, this is going to, this is going to start uh, a panic and I don't want people to, to do that. And when stuff got real for me was when, um, this was in mid-March. I went on a business trip uh, to New York City, um, probably arguably one of the worst places to be, right? Like, I think a short couple of weeks after I left New York City, it became the biggest hotspot in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in New York City and I was starting to get a little bit cautious, uh, thinking that, hey, this might become a real thing. And Billy and I have a friend who was going to get married. Like, he, he was ho- his wedding was supposed to be this past summer, right? Um, yep, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, this friend invited both of us to, to his wedding and I remember looking up, uh, tickets to this wedding supposedly in May, I think originally, um, and thinking there's no way we're going to be traveling in May. That's the first time I started realizing, wow, this is, this is really going to start to affect my life, right? It's not just Mm -hmm. in the news anymore. And at the time I had a conversation with this friend and said, Hey, you know, given the the situation with COVID, I, I'm not so sure that, you know, that this wedding will happen then. Uh, and he wasn't very concerned. He was like, oh, you know, we're just going to delay it by a little bit, but um, we still think there's a good chance it's going to happen. We'll just think about it when we get closer. Um, and then the rest is, is history, right? Mid-March, Workplace told all of us to go home. And at the time, everybody thought it was going to be for a couple of weeks. And a year later, here we are. Um, and that really got real. Yeah. So Hanson, I think uh, I want to ask you, so meet March, since your family is back in China, right? Mm-hmm. They had experience with, with how the Chinese people or the government is treating it. Yep. Did, like, did they try to convince you to be more cautious or? Yes, absolutely. My, my family has been constantly, um, trying to sort of instill a little bit of caution and fear in me. Uh, <laughs> towards COVID and, and frankly, right. <laughs> I and was going to say, what else are families for? <laughs> um, I mean, in this case, they're right. Right. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. you guys get that when you talk to your parents and grandparents and they kind of nag you about things and you just get annoyed. Uh, that was kind of oh, my yeah, attitude yeah. towards it for a while when they were like, Hey, you should go buy masks and gloves and you should, you know, be really, really careful. And my attitude was, you know, I don't want to be the one person wearing a mask in the supermarket. You know, I, I people kind of looked at you funny. And to me, uh, at the time, I just was kind of annoyed and I didn't really realize um, that it was going to be the right move. And of course, the CDC at the time said, hey, unless you have symptoms, unless you work in healthcare, you're not supposed to wear a mask. At the time, they gave guidance against everyone wearing a mask. Yeah, I forgot about that. They did do that. And I listened they? to it. 
I listened to it. I don't, I didn't question it. Right. Uh, to me, um, having grown up in China, I know that the government plays a really big role in public responses like this, and it wouldn't be the first time they've overreacted. Uh, so I kind of just thought, oh, you know, that's probably, you know, probably exaggerated. Um, yeah. So that's mid-March. All right. Um, yeah, I think in mid-March I had a same, a similar thing where it was, um, you know, I was starting to be more cautious. I was pretty much staying inside, only venturing out for groceries, but I still didn't want to wear a mask, I guess. Uh, well, I, I would wear a mask to groceries because, like, you know, as I said, I was in Boston. Um, there's a lot of people doing it there already. Um, but when I was, when I would go for, like, a run or something, I thought, like, oh, you know, I don't need to wear a mask. You know, it's that's fine. And then kind of as I was going and running around, you know, some days I'd get people who would, like, look at me and they'd be like, hey, you got to put a mask on. And I'd be like, you know, whatever you know, I'm running, I'm not staying close to anyone anyway. And then just as it happened over and over again, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I, I guess I do need to wear a mask when I go running. Um, yeah, that's it. Just my, my experience at that time. I think me March was probably the darkest time for people in Wuhan. Then, uh, I remember like, uh, back in China, people were running out of masks and I was trying to essentially buy masks from all over the place mm -hmm. and it's really running running out just because Chinese people are buying it I think yeah uh, and uh, I, I try to send the masks back to China naturally to my parents mm -hmm. uh, uh, March and you know two months later they're essentially trying to send the same mask back to me because <laughs> I cannot <laughs> buy anymore how the turntables yeah, yeah. it's pretty funny yeah okay so see that's a that's a good transition actually I want to shift gears a little bit so now we've heard sort of our first exposure, first experience, exposure is a poor choice of word here, uh, to COVID, um, and how that started to go from, you know, this thing on the news to something that affected our personal lives. Um, it's obvious through this whole thing that the Chinese and American governments took pretty uh, different approaches to responding to the disease. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, first, I want to chat about the Chinese response. Um, you know, at a high level, everybody knows that there's been really strong public health measures taken in China, uh, it, sometimes extreme, right? In Amer by American standards, for example, uh, in the beginning, the city of Wuhan was pretty much locked down entirely, right? Public transportation was shut down between the city and outside. Um, people were advised to stay home. Uh, and I remember there were reports and even like friends and families accounts. Uh, this may be right after Wuhan, where like most cities were starting to take similar precautions, that cities turned into ghost towns, right? Uh, th there was nobody in the street, barely, barely any traffic at all. Um, Seed, what was your perception? You know, I, I know that you've been following it uh, somewhat closely. Um, yeah. Of the Chinese government's handling of uh, COVID. Yeah, so I think uh, it's, it's really uh, two different stages. Like at early stage, there's definitely effort to contain the rumor i would say um and at the time people were kind of uh, mad about the efforts i think especially uh, during uh, february uh, even china, a lot of chinese people complaining about you know why did we not listen to the uh, uh, medical staff in different hospitals that this is a SARS like virus why didn't the, the government respond faster um i mean that was my feeling probably uh, February, but in, in Hensley, even now I look back to it, 
I think it's probably pretty hard for the government to act quickly, especially after I see how uh, the American government react to it, right? Even uh-huh. though they know for sure it's a new virus, they didn't act quickly. Um, if you put yourself back into the shoes of the Chinese government initially, right? It's a new virus. Nobody knows uh, whether it's something like like SARS or not. And, you know, for 20 days, they basically said, um, they need to verify it, right? They need to, to figure out whether it's just the normal flu or something new. Um, could they respond faster? For sure, right? We all want to be, be faster, but I think uh-huh. they didn't try to be intentionally evil to contain information. It's just like, they don't want to take the blame, especially for the local governments, right? They don't want to take the blame from the central government to to announce this is something new and we need to take extreme measures and it turns out to be nothing like that, right? They don't want yeah. to right. risk that. Yeah, um, I think... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I think that that makes sense, right? You know, when, I'm, when we are talking about it with the context of these other diseases that have come first, you know, they were serious, but they kind of fizzled out. And probably, you know, the social and economic impacts of creating, you know, a, a panic basically about these diseases yeah. were probably caused just as much damage as the diseases itself. So, right. you know, it, it makes sense. You know, I guess, you know, you can criticize the Chinese government looking back saying, you know, why didn't they do something sooner? Or like, you know, why didn't they release more information? But in the end, it was just like they didn't think it was going to be as big an issue. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, they weren't acting maliciously you know, trying to contain this information. Yeah. And then uh, I think it's January 25th. Uh, that's when they announced they're going to shut down Wuhan, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things happen very quickly. Uh, and by lockdown, they really mean it's a lockdown, right? There's no car driving. Uh, driving. It's like it's a 20 million people city, right? You have to think about that. And so it's like almost as large as New York in terms of population. Uh, might, be bigger, by population. Yeah, might be bigger. Might be bigger. Actually, yeah. I had no idea it was twenty million. That's that's yeah. Huge. There's there's no one uh, driving on the streets. <laughs> Imagine that's that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a humongous city. Um, and I think since then they they took it really seriously. Like at the time, it's probably too extreme to some cases, right? They tend to overreact. But you know, I, I don't know what is a better alternative. To be honest, like when I when I when I think about you know the pol- whatever policies, uh, their reactions, I always think about you know if I'm doing this, can I have a better alternative? I probably can't, uh, to be honest. Um, and you know, in the end, their what they did definitely worked. In the end, right after three months of lockdown, uh, Wuhan people basically I have are living a normal life now, almost right. There's still a few cases. Uh, people still wear masks sometimes, uh-huh. um, but the life is pretty much back to normal, right? After the sacrifice they took, literally staying home for three months, um, and uh, right, there's a lot of inconvenience, um, and you know, even a lot of people have like family members die, they cannot visit, things like that. A lot of tragedies, yeah. right? But they took the sacrifices, um, and I think they earned the benefit of. Living a much normal life, more normal life uh, than than other people in the world, uh, especially yeah. in the U.S. Um, yeah, there's a. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think it was you know definitely worth it in the long run. Um, and you you see that in other countries as well. Uh, you know, I think 
in Italy, they had the mandatory lockdown. That was one of the big hotspots um, early on. And same with, I think it was South Korea. Uh, you know, they all had these government-sponsored lockdowns where it was, you know, it's not like here in the U.S. where it's, oh, it's locked down, but, like, you know, if you need to go to the grocery store, you can go to the grocery store. Or, you know, if you want to, <laughs> you know, if you want to leave, you can leave, right? Um, it's, it's a strong suggestion that you don't leave your house. Exactly. You know, but it's a suggestion. It's different when the government is, you know, really enforcing this, will arrest you if you're outside and will also, you know, provide food for you. So you can do that, you know, right. uh, what do you think about it in the context in the United States and you're saying, oh, stay home. But like, you're not providing us with anything, right? Like people need to work too to make money to make food, you know, like, or to get food. It's. Yeah, the, the, the government response in the United States was not not as strong as it should have been. But I, I think part of that is how our government is structured. Um, so so, so I, I want to follow up on that. That, that. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, so the so first thing I want to add is just add in a little bit of context. Uh, the, the virus happened probably at the worst time of the year for the Chinese people. It was during the free, uh, Spring Festival. Mm -hmm. right? So it's this huge... Uh, festival, it, basically the Chinese Thanksgiving times, yeah. right? Uh, everybody's trying to get back home. Uh, there's a lot of gathering going around, right? Mm -hmm. uh, millions and millions of people are traveling, right? <laughs> and this happened, right? So it's really hard to contain that during the yeah. Spring Festival. Um, and what I want to follow up on, um, Billy, is is your, your point of, uh, you know, like the government provide food, uh for, for the people when they locked down. But in my mind, I'm thinking the, the U.S. government also gave people uh, stimulus checks, right? Like a thousand dollars for a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think China's government did that, uh, right? There's basically, want, they want you to stay home. Uh, they did, uh, you know, have different policies. They have this policy that, uh, so there's a lo lot of, um, like sub cities in Wuhan, uh -huh. right? Like smaller cities. Uh, essentially, each province in China is, is responsible for each one of them to provide provide them like food, groceries, whatever. But uh -huh. the people still have to buy it, right? The Chinese government uh, enforced the policies that the price cannot rise, right? Or even cheaper than normal times. But people are still paying out of pockets. Okay. Uh, there is no like stimulus check. I don't think so, right? They're just paying paying the, the, the groceries uh, uh, using their savings, <laughs> right? And yeah. the, what, what's interesting is, is there's actually no expectation that the government should provide them with those stimulus checks. That's not what people expected, um, but they still need the lockdown. Uh, so I, I just think that's a very interesting uh, observation. I, th I think the perception here of the stimulus checks wasn't... Um, you know, oh, use this to buy food so you can stay in lockdown or like use this so you don't have to go outside. It was more of, oh, wow, this whole thing is really hurting our economy. We, we just want people to go out and spend more money to, right. <laughs> you know, strengthen the economy. So here's, you know, a thousand dollars and go right. spend it. But then meanwhile, all the people are like, you know, oh, I lost my job. This this is, you know, throwing a Band-Aid on like a giant open wound. It's, it's not helping. And. Then there's people like me who got the stimulus check anyway, and I am spending less money than ever because, you know, I'm sitting at home. You know, I'm not going out to restaurants as much. I'm not, I mean, at all. 
and I'm yeah, you know, it's just it, it was I guess a nice thought, but uh, misguided. I think there's a lot of a lot of that with the U.S.'s response, where it was like, okay, you tried, but uh, you didn't do a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> so. Billy, uh, on that note, uh, I want to shift gears a little bit again. Um, we talked about the Chinese response, uh, which kind of went from zero to 100, if you will, right? Going from, hey, we're not sure if this is a real threat. We don't know if we want to panic people to actually lock down entire cities and you mm-hmm. know nobody leave their apartment if, if they don't absolutely have to. Uh, and it's pretty well enforced. And a lot of people generally, I, I talk to my friends and family, people are happy to follow because they're they're taking it very seriously. And for the most part, uh, people actually think very highly of the government response. Everyone mm-hmm. I've talked to in China are like, yeah, they, they really did a good job. They did, did what they have to do. Um, now, I want to uh, change topic to the American response. Um, and then after that, I want to do a little bit more of a uh, compare and contrast, sort of uh, talk about the perception uh, mm-hmm. between the two different responses um, and how the media has been sort of like different sides have different narratives that they're trying to fit the other one into, which I think would be pretty interesting. But before then, more matter of fact, uh, Billy, what has been your experience with the American response here? What was the timeline like? And, uh, you know, just your personal experience with it. Um, I mean, so that's, uh, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier about how Mm -hmm. I think the responses were different because of differences in how the government is structured. Um, okay. So, you know, in the United States, uh, there is kind of one of the founding principles was the separation of state power and federal power. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like a big thing that a lot of people still, um, I guess, make their primary concern when it comes to government. You know, it's about making sure the federal government doesn't get too much power. Right. That's that's what they say. Um so you look at the response from the federal government here, which really should be in more of a guidance role. You know, um, the way the American government is set up, it's kind of like, oh, federal government will basically provide you money if you to the states if they do these things. And that's how they get the states to do the things that they want. But it, it comes down to the states themselves to decide what their response for this health crisis is. Um, that's that's kind of what happened. That's the way the government is currently structured. You know, there's there's people on both sides saying, you know, federal government should have done more, should have, you know, actually enforced this. Um, so I think, uh, you know, leaving it to the states is good in theory uh, for a lot of issues. But for something like a public health crisis, um, you know, uh, one state's response isn't really contained to just itself, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. For example, the states that first had these hotspots of COVID, I would say did respond pretty well. You know, New York City, um, even Boston was a bit of a hotspot. Um, There's one in Washington. Those are the all, all the initial hotspots. And by the summer, um, you know, things were starting to look like they were getting better, right? Um, by the spring, summer, things started looking, looking like they would get better. Yeah, that was the but, end of the first wave, right? Exactly. Um, but then what happened was um, the spot, hot spots weren't fully contained, right? As these things go, you know, if you're if you're not doing, you know, a mandatory lockdown. Um, so you know, a couple of people trickled out into you know these other states, like you know Midwest, you know, where there's they had absolutely no cases to start. Um, then they had one, 
than they had a handful. And they're thinking, oh, you know, it's still not a big deal. But those states never made the restrictions happen. And so you kind of get the spillover effect, right? Where now that these other states are not doing anything to contain it, it spills back into the the states that had a good response. And mm-hmm. it just, it, it, it messes up the whole thing, right? You know, you need everyone on the same page. You do. Um, and that's ideally what the federal government should have been doing. Um, yeah, it it should have been keeping like, everyone on the same page. Right. It almost feels like you're in a building and some of the rooms are catching fire, right? And maybe some of the floors and sections are doing a really great job containing the fire. But if a little bit of fire spreads to another part where they're just keeping the doors open and propping open, fi- uh, open fire doors and, you know, uh, not really taking it seriously, uh, it just spreads really quickly in those areas. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know, like, how this whole thing got so politicized in the United States. I don't know if it's just because it was in an election year, right, that mm-hmm. this that this happened, that COVID became a political issue instead of just, you know, it shouldn't be divisive that you should try to stop the disease from spreading, you know, like <laughs> right. that everyone should be on the same page there. And whether it's, you know, people don't want to follow the rules because they think it's un-American or they just don't believe that COVID's real. It, it you know, it doesn't matter, right? Like, mm-hmm. If the federal government had come out and said it, then at least, you know, everyone can, it's supposed to be on the same page, right? Right. I don't know. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of charged political debate in that. Um, Myself having been living in the U.S., I I hear quite a bit of that on the news. Um, What's your personal perception been of this whole response? Like when it comes to the federal government of the U.S.? Um, what do you think they did well and what do you think they didn't do well? Now, all of this is given the context that, as you said, given the structure of the U.S. government, by design, it's not supposed to have the type of centralized power uh, that the Chinese government has, right? So mm-hmm. we're saying that we're not expecting the same level of quick, uniform, and extreme response. Um, but given the framework, how do you think the U.S. government has handled this and what do you think could have gone differently? Um Well, so the CDC was really the only government body that said anything about the pandemic. You know, I I mean, well, that's their job, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, But I mean, you know, you'd hear things from the president now and then about it, um, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't any guidance. You know, it would just be like status and be like, oh, well, like there's, uh, you know, 10,000 cases right now. And it's like, okay. And what are we doing about it? Uh, so, I, I mean, I remember I would I stopped going to the CDC website because it was just like we wouldn't get any new information. It was like these are the symptoms of COVID. Here's how you stop it from spreading. Like what you should do. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we didn't get any more information. I started going to, you know, my uh, my state website or you know specifically the Cambridge website to see how many uh, cases we were going. I would I was going to third party sites to. Um, you know, that we're just like tracking the spread of COVID in the United States to see how things were doing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's just, uh, you know, because I'm on the more tech savvy side. So I was, you know, content to go do my own research. You know, I don't watch like cable news. Um, so I don't know how the reporting was there. But uh, again, again the, the, the government response, I just, 
I don't, again, I don't know if it came in through cable news and I just wasn't getting it because I'm not connected <laughs> that way. Um, but it's, I, you know, I didn't hear very much from the federal government at all. So, so are you saying that the response has been pretty minimal? Uh, sort of just doing the bare minimum of reporting, you know, like the number of cases and deaths, that's kind of what the CDC gets paid to do, right? That's part of their yeah. core responsibility. Uh, but they didn't seem to go the extra mile to give uh, guidance and to disseminate information effectively. So um, it's the CDC is technically the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, but yep. they weren't doing very much prevention, I would say. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. One thing I'll add there is um, I, I read the news. I don't watch cable news either. I don't think many people in our generation do. But, you know, I I go on the, the Apple News app, right? Like the easiest sources of news. And I obviously see little bits and pieces of this thing uh, on social media, on Reddit, on Imgur, on, you know, I, I don't go on Facebook, but I'm sure like Facebook has a lot of this information as well that people are sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that struck me from the very beginning was that, you know, it seems like the CDC was doing its job. There's debate over like whether it could have done more, would have uh, whether they could have published better guidelines, uh, et cetera. Uh, but one thing that struck me was how the White House specifically uh, was downplaying the pandemic from the very beginning. Uh, and this is interesting because as Seed was bringing up before, it's understandable, right? Like I'm not trying to demonize anyone. Like it's understandable that every government has to assess when a new threat emerges, whether it's worth the damage to, you know, your society and your economy to mm-hmm. make it a big deal, right? Uh, and I think, again, the Chinese government's done the same thing at the very beginning, basically downplaying it and saying, hey, it's not a big deal, look away, uh, try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the, the American government, arguably, they've had more time. They've seen the disease spread, right? Like the whole timeline was delayed by a month or two for mm-hmm. the U.S., um, And I distinctly remember, and maybe this is a function of cable news picking on Trump, which is not a new topic, right? Like cable news is very happy to report on Trump and generally negative stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, all over the news, you just see the video clips of him saying, you you know, it's just going to magically go away. This number is going to go down to zero in a month. Um, He made several promises that were um, unhelpful. Yeah, just Uh, inject some uh, some bleach into your arm. That is such a memeable (laughs) moment. I don't even... Right. This podcast, it isn't I'm not meant like trying to go and make this politicized, but I think it is an unavoidable aspect of the response uh, to the pandemic. I I do Mm -hmm. have the perception that the federal government's ability to respond in part has been handicapped by its own rhetoric that, frankly, it's held on to until the new administration took hold, that this is not as big a deal as people are trying to make you think. Yeah, they just um, have never friends, admit they're wrong, pretty much. <laughs> right. They just double down. Like in the beginning, they said, hey, no big deal. Don't freak out. You know, stay open, go out, do your thing. Uh, and they said that for months, even as the U.S. became the biggest hotspot in the world. Um, and I have friends on the other side of the political spectrum on the U.S., um, you know, conservative side, where if you're only watching, you know, things like Fox News, um, to this day, I think the the biggest topics to them are still how the government's been abusing its power to try to tell people what to do. Right. So I, I think that has been highly politicized. You know, whether you want to wear a mask, whether you stay mm-hmm. at home, yeah. it becomes a very big statement of sort of what you believe and who you are. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember Trump's status update. I think he used to do, at least in the beginning, he used to do this weekly or biweekly update. Um, 
And I remember watching one of those, uh, and I watched it on YouTube, and he was basically boasting about how many tasks we can do nowadays every day. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's the main focus of him. Instead of saying, you know, how we control the disease, he was boasting about uh, how fast his government is ramping up on testing people. Um, so that's that's pretty funny. And uh, and I I remember distinctly that that uh, he starts to shift blame. Right from the mm-hmm. beginning, he say, you know, the Chinese government didn't tell the U.S. government until late February or something, something crazy like that. I was like, dude, the, the whole <laughs> country is under lockdown. <laughs> End of January, you're saying like they didn't, you didn't know that. Um, so I, I find that's pretty funny. And I would also think even within the framework of, you know, the separation of power between states and federal, I don't think CDC did, did a good job. Uh, because like, like you guys pointed out in the beginning, they have conflicting guidance, right? In the beginning, they are saying, don't wear masks, right? Two mm-hmm. weeks later, mm-hmm. they're suggesting people wear it. So like, if you keep doing things like that, people are not going to trust you, right? Um, also, it's pretty surprising to me that cities didn't leverage more, you know, high tech or big data to track how the disease are spreading, Right. I mean, we have Facebook, we have Google, we have, you know, all the tech giants in, in the United States. I don't know why there's no effort to have just a standardized info hub to basically, you know, keep track of those things, right? There's actually a Chinese forum called Yi Musanfendi. I don't know if you guys know, know what that is, but they I've actually come across a, it. Right. They build a tracker yeah. for this, uh, you know, for, for this uh, tracking the, the situation in the United States. And I remember the... Uh, Tencent, um, you know, affili- affiliated with uh, Chinese government, developed this platform in WeChat like three days after the, they announced the, the lockdown, right? You can just go into this app, check the most official update every single day. Um, so I think, you know, even within the, the framework of separation of power, I don't think the federal government did enough uh, to stop this disease, just based on my observation. Um, the, the United States. And another thing I'm interested in, uh, you know, what Billy's take on this is, like, do you think, do you think the suppression of power is still above everything? Um, you know, like, there's a lot of things, like, I hear people say, you know, it is in constitution that, you know, we should have separation of power in the United States. Mm-hmm. And things like, you know, according to the Second Amend- Amendment, we should have the right to own a firearm. And it, you know, it shouldn't be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think, you know, it's called an amendment, right? It wasn't there. <laughs> Things change. Mm-hmm. Right? There should be new policy, new rules, new ideology. So how do you think of, in a time of globalization, besides this pandemic, we have the, tr- the problem of global warming, right? We mm-hmm. worked with other governments, not, not, not just in the United States, but with other nations even. So, you know, things like, like a, a, I don't know, ideology that's invented a hundred years ago, is that still relevant today? Is my question. Right. So the question was about these morals that were developed, um, kind of at the inception of the country, and if they're still relevant today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said about um, those relating to our cultural identity as Americans, right? You know, we only have kind of 300 years of history to go off of, right? You know, there's, 
it, the United States is a very is a very new nation. Uh, you know, well, maybe not new nation, but it's a new culture, right? And back at that time, that was kind of the only thing keeping us as a nation together was the fact that we all had this ideal that the government should be weak. You know, people should, you know, the government should be afraid of the people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I don't know if it's as important to keep the nation together now, but you'll still see, you know, in more rural areas where there's kind of less of a connection, they still kind of cling to this. Um, you know, I, it, and it's a very nuanced topic. It's, you know, it's hard for me to take a hard stance one way or another saying, you know, this is outdated, yeah. you know, this is good, this is bad. Um, I would say personally, I, I do believe that government power should be limited. Um, and again, might just be because I'm American, you know, uh, it might just be because in elementary school, they taught us, you know, the constitution was the, the best document ever written, you know. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think there's stuff like that all around the world. You know, everyone wants to say, you know, we're the best, you know, we, we made this and that's why, you know, we're the, we're the best people. Uh, I do, I will say though, um, I think the future is global. Um, we do need to, there needs to be less of, uh, of this, you know, divisiveness of this, we're, you know, we're the best mentality. Um, but it's been, I don't want to say it's human nature, but it's definitely been very prominent in human society since, you know, uh, I don't know, 1400s, maybe, maybe earlier. Um, just about, you know, our nation is the best, right? Uh, but with all the, the interconnectedness that we're, that we're having going forward, you know, we, we can't be separate. We can't make these, these, you know, divisions uh, define us anymore. You know, w one day, a thousand years in the future, right? Like, are, you know, borders really going to mean anything? Like, how much will we have one global culture or will we still be separated? You know, and it's, I don't have the answer, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and just let me be clear. I, I definitely don't mean like constitutions not, or for, for Americans, um, constitution is not relevant anymore. That's definitely not why I meant. Because mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is, you know, a document that's written more than a hundred years ago is outdated by definition, right? It's written mm -hmm. for different contexts. Right. Of course, the founders are great people. Right. Yeah. They they are they are the best of their time. Right. But on the flip mm -hmm. side, they're also slave owners. Right. They are they're mm -hmm. limited by by the by the you know by the century they're living in mm -hmm. uh, in other ways. So, like you said, we need to find new ways to redefine our identity. Right. To mm -hmm. to to work with other nations. Uh, because unfortunately or fortunately the every single problem we face nowadays is by definition global right yeah no matter it's big data uh right no matter it's you know internet or or global warming everything's global right mm -hmm. your 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 decision like you're not really living in the united states anymore right in a sense you're, you're connected to a random person in china Right, because they manufacture your iPhone. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like you, like you, like you. I don't think I have a solution to this, but we need to find yeah. a way to to kind of cross the bridge and understand each other. Mm -hmm. I think in Chinese, there's this phrase 
uh, called 君子和而不同, uh, which means like Chinese uh, is like gentlemen. So the gentlemen can respect each other, but still maintain their different identities, which I think is a, you know is probably a good principle mm-hmm. for interacting with people from different backgrounds. Yeah, those are those are really good points. And uh, see the question you're asking, obviously, like is a is a question that I don't think anyone really has an answer to. Uh, and frankly, I wouldn't trust anyone that can come out and say, I have a clear answer. This is the right one. Um, yeah. But, you know, as someone who who was born and raised in China and I, I came to the U.S. just like you um, and I, I think I'm fairly Americanized uh, in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that really I found intriguing and I really, uh, really appreciated um, coming to the U.S. was the idea that the government should be limited, which uh, by today's standards would be kind of like a it's, I guess, a core American belief and especially held dear by American conservatives. Right. Like um, so many of their policy agendas are about uh, limiting the government, limiting government spending, uh, fiscal responsibility, uh, all of those things, uh, including like the whole obsession with uh, First and Second Amendment rights, the ability to hang on to firearms and things like that is all about like individual freedom um, and not being oppressed by a government. So I think those are features that um, a lot of people want to believe that are timeless, right? They believe that, you know, if these beliefs are held almost religiously in a way, um, if you read the book, books like uh, Sapiens, um, you know, an ideology in a way is very similar to a religion, right? It's kind of this operating system that's installed in your brain as you're being uh, brought up. All of Mm -hmm. us, doesn't matter where you're from are installed some ideology by your parents, by society, that this is sacred, this is right, and that's wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, and in a way, that's necessary to organize a complex society of this size. And I think what we're talking about is the incompatibility between the operating systems across the world. Now that we can no longer live isolated lives, it's no longer a choice. Uh-huh. Um, you can decide to stay in your you know, rural Wisconsin home, and you know your, your life is still somewhat impacted by an aspiring Chinese engineer who's about to invent some new internet thing. Um, and as we face these challenges, it's going to be important for us to understand each other and not demonize each other, Mm -hmm. Uh, which sadly, in my opinion, I see quite a bit of, you know, I go on Chinese social media as well as American social media. And, um, it's very easy to find inflammatory speech about each other. Uh, you know, shitting on each other. Basically we may edit this out later, depending on the rating of the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think so, uh, I think part of that. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, but no, part no of that is being on the internet. Um, just that veil of not even anonymity. You know, even if your name is associated with just having a screen, not having a physical person in front of you that you see when you're talking shit about them. Right? You don't even think have to think twice about it. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Like you can just. It's so reductive. You can just take an entire country of a billion people and say the Chinese are doing this, right? Right. Or you know, the Americans are doing this. And it's it's just wrong. You know, it's not it's not accurate. It's it's a generalization that is based on whatever information you're fed. And obviously I'm not saying, you know, one side's doing it, the other's not. Everyone's doing it. It's it's right. just so common in the age of the internet. Right. The internet is um <laughs> I like to think of the internet as a a way to compress reality. 
Uh, if you ever use an audio compressor, what it does is it brings out details in sound and compresses the larger parts so that it makes the sound more attractive, I suppose, right? Brings out the details. It's like sharpening an image. Uh, the internet does that. And it's technology is by definition amoral. Like it doesn't have good or bad, right? It doesn't know better. So mm-hmm. the internet's done great things and awful things at the same time. And polarizing is one of those things. It gives voice to those that didn't have a voice. It gives voice to the few, the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the internet, the same internet that's brought us, uh, LGBTQ rights, right. In the, in the West, in liberal societies, mm-hmm. uh, also brought us neo-Nazis and Holocaust deniers and yep. vaccine doubters and, you know, flat earthers, <laughs> um, yeah. because they just have a platform to share and find each other. And, you know, it becomes a real bubble that people can, uh, get enclosed in. So on this topic, I know we already touched quite a bit on these, um, but, uh, I want to ask Billy and Seed, I guess, Billy, you can go first. What do you think the American perception, just like, I guess you can't represent all of America, just like we said before, right? Like, what has <laughs> yeah, your yeah. perception been when you look around on whatever social media, whatever, wherever you get your information source uh, of the American perception of China, uh, Chinese response specifically to COVID? What do you think? How do you think people here look at that? Um so, yeah, I actually have a small anecdote to go along with this. I mean, this was uh, early on into the Chinese lockdown in Wuhan. Um, mm-hmm. So for better or for worse, um, I, I don't like actually go after and seek news that often. So any news I usually get is just from me browsing Reddit, trying to find memes. And I inadvertently find <laughs> news along the way. Oh, um, I know the feeling. <laughs> so uh, I was on Reddit and I saw some videos from the Chinese lockdown. And it it honestly, it looked pretty brutal. Um it did. I think this specific video was uh, someone who was trying to leave their house and it was the police either like like arresting them or it was someone who had COVID and they were kicking down the door to bring them to hospital. I don't I don't remember exactly what it was. I remember it was shocking. Right. And no. this was this was still at the time where I'm thinking, wow, like this is this is just like the flu. It's not a big deal. I was just like, wow, what an insane overreaction by the Chinese government. Um, now looking back, I mean, I haven't thought about watching that video for a while, but looking back now, like, I mean, I guess it, I guess it was justified. I mean, you know, you never want to say brutality is justified, but yeah, you need to enforce these things somehow, right? Like, you know, if you just say, you know, oh, we're under lockdown, but if you leave, we're not going to do anything about it, then you get what happens, you know, here in the U.S., Right. So, Billy, on the spectrum of, you know, uh, from one extreme, like, wow, I can't believe they're doing this. There is no world where this is justifiable. Right. To a little bit less extreme, like I disagree. I hope that doesn't happen here, but I understand why it happens there Mm -hmm. Uh, to, you know, I wish that would happen here. Where are you on that spectrum? Um, I am probably um, somewhere between. It's, I mean, again, the video was very shocking. So I'm somewhere right. between it was too extreme and I understand why they did it, but I don't want that to happen here. Like, in my mind, there is virtually no circumstance that would, uh, you know, warrant a lockdown where police are forcing you to stay inside of your home. I, mm-hmm. you know, because you just can't. It's it's just too generalized for me, right? Like, you know, what if you have an emergency, right? You know, what if, what if, you know, again, extremes and, you know, most people are probably, if they're leaving, they're not leaving for emergencies. They're just leaving for, you know, whatever dumb thing is important to them. Um, right. 
but I think it, it just comes down to the the American like fear of government power. You know, the I, fear of tyranny. Exactly. I it's so in my mind, you know, you you have the government saying you can lock everyone down, and if they can enforce it, fine. But now that they've done it once for COVID, right? Which you know, whether or not you think that is justified is like, you know, you can fall on either side of the issue. Um, but then, you know, if they do it once for COVID, they can do it for other things. And if they're just the ones deciding, you know, I don't get to say, well, I think this is wrong. Uh, you know, don't, this lockdown isn't necessary. I, I kind of just don't get to say. And I think that's what the anti-maskers are trying to say. But again, they are just very misguided and you should be wearing a mask to help people, right? Like, right. I, I think I actually found a quote uh, that kind of summarizes that thought a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I actually think it makes a lot of sense. And I think this is how a lot of people who may be against lockdowns, against wearing masks, uh, you know, these things that I frankly disagree with, I think it's just a wrong thing to do in this case. Mm-hmm. But it does make sense. Uh, so this quote goes, the decisive consideration where personal liberty is involved is that each individual's fate must be adjudged on the facts of his case not on general characteristics of a class to which he may be assigned. Constitutional principles, the court stated, guard against the risk that governmental action may be grounded in popular myths, irrational fears, or noxious fallacies rather than well-founded science. So the way I read that is, if anything gives the government the power to just declare right, single-handedly that there is a new crisis and we are protecting you and hence we are forcing you to stay in your homes and telling you what you can or cannot do by force, then it's a scary thing to do because then how do you know when the government's going to start lying and say there is a fake, you know, start lying about a pandemic out there and use it essentially as a, 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 a coup, right? A power grab uh, from the people. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that is, that is, it makes sense as a fear. And I think that is what some people actually believe to be the case, right? Some of the more extreme people uh, yeah. still think that COVID is a lie uh, by the government to abuse its people. Yeah, that, that is what I was trying to get at. Just, you know, put more eloquently by someone with a law degree, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so I think, so I used to study um, uh, philosophy. Uh, you know, I then switched to physics, then switched to computer science. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess the, I, did both, I did both physics and computer science, but... The reason why I decided not to do philosophy is because there's so many things sound good in theory, right? No uh-huh. matter it's ideology, no matter it's political theory, no matter it's a you know governing system. I'm sure it sounds good in uh, in in theory, but I think in reality everything is different shades of gray, right? Uh-huh. Take 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 this uh, argument of freedom as example. Yes, I think you have freedom. But you also have responsibility to other people, to your society, to your culture, to your government, right? Like, uh, there is no pure form of freedom, right? If there is, you're not free by definition, right? Freedom is defined by you are free from something, <laughs> right? There, if there's no oppression uh, of any sort, there's no concept of freedom at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's very deep seed. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you just have to navigate this complex reality <laughs> uh, by listening to all kinds of different ideologies and and not really uh, subsequently just one of them. 
Um, uh, so I think um, the freedom that I'm talking about in my mind is the freedom to choose what your responsibilities are going to be, right? You know, you, you can say, oh, you have a responsibility to not spread COVID, right? Well, a lot of people in the United States decided that that they didn't want that responsibility, right? And they're just not going to deal with it. Um, and for better or for worse, that, well, for worse, um, that, that is what, <laughs> you know, that happens in the United States, you know? And yeah, while, while, while I wish it didn't happen, um, if I was asked if I would change it, I don't, I don't think that I would, um, you know, I, you know, I do, I wish with all my heart that these people would just see the sense of reason, right. And do what's good for everyone, but it's not my right to make them do that. Right. It's not, it's not my place to tell other people how to live their lives. Right. Every person only gets their own life. So you should be able to do what you want with it. I think that's really well put, Billy. Um, Seed, you were mentioning, you know, the, the concept of freedom. It's like freedom and oppression is like light and darkness, right? Like without one, there really isn't the other. Um, I think the better comparison might be freedom to do something and limitation that you can't do something. It doesn't have to be oppression. And in this case, I think the way Billy articulates it is the way I interpret American freedom, which is, uh, I think, I'm not sure if this was used in the right context, but live and let live is kind of the slogan, if you will. Mm. Uh, the idea that you're not free to be, to like harm other people, right? That's, that's not the kind of freedom that this is about. It's more like every individual, uh, should be able to maximize his or her or their, uh, control of their own life, their own decisions. Um, which I think is what put the American like idea of freedom, uh, really, really in the spotlight here in, in, in this pandemic because you're not, there isn't a clean separation of people's well-being and people's yeah. lives, your decision, your freedom to practice what you want to do. Like I want to go to the mall and not wear a mask, uh, necessarily compromises other people's freedom to yeah. live a healthy life and not be jeopardized by your decisions. Um, and this is one of those situations, but in general, the American ideal of freedom seems to be, you know, do whatever you want and don't try to stop other people from doing what they want. And even that is not a clean definition, right? Like there's going to be times where you just disagree where that boundary is. Um, <laughs> anyway, just chiming in a little bit on that perspective. Yeah, I think I, you know, over the time, I, I just grew skeptical about words like rights and freedom because it's just very nuanced in terms of like, I remember this time, uh, this might be off topic, but uh, I remember back in college, I was taking this class I think it's a sociology class, and the the professor basically uh, it might be in the in the textbook, but basically saying you know the the right of shelter and food is given uh, you know in, in in country like United States. I was so confused, like why 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 the why it's a right to have shelter uh, because you know. In China, we have, <laughs> nearly no one can afford a house, <laughs> right? Everybody's renting. Um, I mean, that's also true in Boston. But like, so that that made me think thinking that one's rights, you know, given the context of of, of either society or culture uh, or community, is someone's privilege, right? There's no there's no rights uh, because 
the, the right is just, I think, a product of the promise given by your society. But if people are living in different place or, or, or culture or governments, that's a privilege, right? And oftentimes that right is a privilege because you can only have this because there's operation going on on the other side of the aisle. Um, but yeah, I just find those things are very nuanced and, and often too simplified uh, and, and mm-hmm. used as a weapon to, to, uh, to su- suppress uh, nuanced arguments. But yeah, that's probably off topic. I, well, I think it goes, yeah, it, it goes back to what Hans was saying about, where I, maybe it was you, just everything is shades of gray. You know, it's not, it's generally not black and white, you know, it's, as you said, uh, so also you mentioned uh, housing being a right in the United States. I don't know if that's true. I, I'm kind of curious what that perception is based on. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's a huge homeless problem, right? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was yeah, thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, the. I think the context is basically trying to say that homelessness is a problem, and everybody, I, like the government, should provide shelter for everybody, uh, for every citizen in the United States. Okay. Uh, it's in some kind of textbook. I, I can't remember, but I just remember the the shock. You know, I was only like 18 oh, okay. years old or something. Sure, right? sure. Coming to the United States, it was like. That's interesting. I, I never thought I had the right to own a house <laughs> because that's something I have to uh, spend like 10 years of my life. <laughs> in the yeah. Well, I mean, the, the in the United States, you know, people are definitely still split on that one. You know, it's yeah. some people are saying, oh, you know, we want all the support for people, you know, for homeless people or for underprivileged people. And then other people are saying, no, why should they get anything whatsoever? You know, right. uh, their their choices led them there. You know, but don't take my tax dollars to help them. But you know, obviously, again, it's more complicated than that. You know, yeah, were they put there by their own choices, or were there extenuating factors in the society that brought them there? And that's that's generally where the discussion winds up, right? Um, right, right. Um, just in the interest of moving the conversation along and starting to wrap it up, uh, a couple of topics. Uh, I think we've already had a sprawling conversation that kind of just you know, went to several different places. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start thinking about what we can learn from each other. And when I say that, I mean the uh, American culture and the Chinese culture. What, what could they learn from each other from this pandemic? What are some of the things that we might want to do differently or better in the future? Seed, I'm going to start with you on that one. Like when you, I think it's easy, right, um, to look at the American response and look at the death toll, right, and look at the the case numbers and say that, wow, you know, this is just worse. Um, but are there any things that you've learned from, you know, this whole experience or this conversation today um, that could help you bridge that gap of, uh, you know, not understanding why the other side did this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, learning can be from other success or mistakes, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, U.S. made large amount of mistakes, so we can also learn from that. Um, so I will start there. I think... Uh, and basically, I, I think you probably mentioned this before. Like, don't demonize something you don't understand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the biggest mistake the U.S. government uh, made, or even a lot of Americans made, frankly, is they demonized every single action that China or, or the Chinese government took, right? Uh, I, I remember vividly in the beginning. They are saying, you know, this pandemic is going to be the downfall of CC, uh, CCP, right? 
they're not going to function well, right? Because it's a centralized government. They're going to respond. This, they're not going to survive this this uh, crisis. Uh, and then, you know, four months later, they did a much better job than um, the Western countries. Um, they start to say, you know, this is the feature of the centralized government, right? They only control this virus because they sacrificed human rights, right? It's just a very lazy approach, right? You already had the conclusion, so you refuse to learn from the other side. So I think that's something that Chinese people or the Chinese government should also be cautious of, right? Uh, U.S. is still number one in a lot of areas, no doubt about that, right? And 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 as a culture, as a civilization, there's so much thing, so many things we have to learn from. Right? I'm educated in the United States, right? There's a lot of things I aspire to, right? The Age of Enlightenment, right? Those traditions are the treasure for for the whole human race. So, right? Don't even in this atmosphere of very divided, right? I know there's a lot of people in China that say, you know, everything U.S. does now is is stupid. Right. That's just not true. Right. Even right. though we have different ideologies, we need to be open to to learn from each other. Um, and I do think from I think from this conversation, I do agree to a certain degree that, um, you know, there are things that are probably timeless. Right. There, there are things we have to uh, do not sacrifice. Uh, to other governments or, or or the powerful, right? Mm-hmm. There are this uh, line that we shouldn't cross. Uh, I do think you know whatever that line is is probably depends upon the context of the time mm-hmm. or, or, or of the place. But there are lines that shouldn't be crossed, right? Um, yeah. So that's something I, I definitely I definitely agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I I totally see uh, the bias in the media as well. Right. I, I think, as you mentioned, um, China bad essentially covers a lot of uh, not only like, you know, cable news media, but also just social media in general. And there's, you know, enough enough out there to build this perception uh, so much so that whenever something new happens, there's already a story about what to say about the Chinese government. It's just different angles to fit that story. Uh, and I also see the opposite, the, the, the inverse of that, which is you know, going on Chinese social media and reading whatever the, the official or unofficial, but like propagated or allowed by official uh, sources to sort of spread the information. Um, the Chinese perception of America can also be very biased, right? Just in the other direction. Both sides, I think, both political powers um, are invested and incentivized to demonize the other. Because frankly, demonizing the other is a very effective and cheap way to unify internally to to rally your subjects uh under one flag hmm. well i mean like i said you know i i have this very american fear of uh you know, big government um but i think you know uh after you know kind of all the dust settled um what china did i think was was definitely justified i think we definitely could have had a heavier hand here in the u.s i mean you obviously we were talking about you know death tolls just the sheer numbers, it's easy to bring those up and see, you know, the difference in response. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's just, you got to figure out where that line is, you know, how, how much of this quote unquote freedom, you know, you're willing to sacrifice. Um, and more, I think more importantly, 
uh, how to get it back when it's all over, right? Uh, the the fear that you know, once you give something up, once you give up a freedom, it's gone forever. Uh, is is very real. Um, but it, whether or not it's justified is true. You know, the government in China just you know they opened things up again afterwards. You know, it's not like they're still under lockdown. We're probably more restricted now than than uh, than they are. So. Um, would have been nice. Uh, I think a large part of that is also, again, politicized. Uh, if we had different people in power, the response may have been different. Um, and it's it, it's kind of one of these things where it seems like in China, uh, they definitely whether or not you know everyone is agrees with the government, they put up a unified front to the international community, right? My my perception of China is that pretty much everyone supports the government. Um, you know, whether or not they fully believe everything the government says or they take it with a grain of salt and they say, you know, yeah, they're kind of double talking. We know what's actually going on, but, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, it's. It is beneficial to have the I mean, I guess I'll call it big brother if they do actually have your best interests in mind, you know. Right. It is ideally, you know, it like it would be great if there was some, you know, alien super race that was just taking care of us and making sure everyone <laughs> had was just taking care. Like that's that's obviously taken to the extreme of what Big Brother could be, you know, like a um, benign centralized power exactly. is the best kind of power to have. The issue is if you put that much power in anyone's hands, you cannot trust that it's benign anymore. Yeah, that's there's no guarantee. Once you give it out, it's gone. Right. It's like the best protection you can have is a bodyguard that is fully armed, that Mm -hmm. is ready to shoot and kill. But the moment you hand away your weapon to your bodyguard, you can no longer trust him. Yeah, he you know, could be is, the best what if someone else is paying that guy that goes after you, you. exactly. And I guess the American belief or, you know, uh, a big part of that is never go give away your gun because you, you can't trust <laughs> quite, that quite, li- quite literally. Quite literally. Yes. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I do. It, you know, in this case, the, the Chinese government response was better. And, you know, I'm not I'm not really afraid to say that. Like it mm-hmm. did save more lives. Again, as I said, I don't know that I would have wanted it here, which I know, it sounds like a weird thing to say. Um, and maybe I it's, totally get I'm it. Not, I mean, maybe I'm not thinking like rationally about it. And I am still kind of emotionally invested in, you know, the American ideal of freedom. But, uh, mm. you know, I, it's there's less for sure lessons to be learned. And there's I think there is definitely steps we could have taken to be more towards China's direction of, you know, this, uh, this absolute power uh, dictating what's going on without going all the way, mm-hmm. you know, um, without, you know, uh, forcibly restricting people to their homes. Um, you know, maybe more incentives are the way to go. I, maybe, uh, you know, lighter penalties, you know, oh, you're outside. Yeah, you know, we don't we don't arrest you, but, you know, you get a $40 ticket every time we see you. Right. You know, right. It's something like that. I, I don't have the solution, but there definitely needed to be more response. And I mean, it's like I said, people we had in power, it were more on the conservative side, more on the, the freedom side. So we didn't see any of that basically. Mm -hmm. Um, 
just want to add a little, just follow up on that one point. I'm also curious about the the video you saw because I'm, I don't know, like I saw I saw a lot of like BBC clips that, uh, you know, subtitles of mm-hmm. you know the interview uh, Chinese people. It's totally not what they're saying. <laughs> the subtitles <laughs> just 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 distort it. Oh <laughs> so really? They're just straight yeah. up distorting facts. Yeah. Yes, I can I can try to find those clips. It's pretty funny. Like, uh, uh, yeah, it's. So I also wonder, like, whether those those uh, those clips are authentic. And I mean, it's it's possible that yeah. they're not. You know, I didn't I didn't verify my sources. Um, yeah, I will I say also, that there was no dialogue, so yeah. I know they weren't getting misquoted <laughs> at least <Yeah>. that much. <laughs> right. I also remember it's funny that uh, so I was I'm a fan of Joe Rogan Experience. I listen to them, although yeah. I, I'm often offended by by a lot of you know his perception of China. But I'm still a fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's kind of crazy. He, he was mentioning. Uh, <laughs> He was watching a clip where this 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 uh, unmanned drone uh, back in China like yell at people because there's there's uh, like old grandma trying to go outside during the lockdown, mm-hmm. and the drone just fly there, uh, yelling at the at the grandma like go back to your house, go back to your apartment. Well, you mean like a drone with four uh, yes fans yeah, yeah, yeah. on it and right okay no yeah. weapons. it's not it's not like a right it's got like yeah, a loudspeaker yeah. on it. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. not gonna drop a drop a missile right. on grandma. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, and I remember, um, you know, as American, you know, Joe Rogan is probably as American as you can get uh, <laughs> in, in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, was saying, oh, this is horrible, right? This is an obvious violation of uh, human rights. Uh, to me, uh, this is heartwarming. <laughs> this is <laughs> such such a nice use of drone, right? Like. And the, 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 the drone, you know, is not actually, is not really yelling at the grandmother. It's basically saying very politely, please go back to your house. We'll, we'll give you free food, right? You don't have to go out <laughs> to, for grocery. Um, yeah. Like from my perspective, how is that a, abuse of, of power? <laughs> right. It's, it's, a, it's an act of um, kindness. It's, it's an mm. act of taking responsibility to take care of the odors in the society. Right? So it's, just, it's just very different. Like uh, yeah. the same footage but look at very differently. I, I think, I think, I don't think um, maybe he meant, or the way I, I interpret it is he, he didn't mean that that specific clip was scary, um, but that the, the potential for having drones for mass surveillance is what's scary. Um, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, telling a grandma to go home is, is one thing. It, it probably was like a funny video, you know, it was, it's probably like, you know, she's just like ignoring it, like going along with her walker or something and drones yelling at her. But um, sorry, you, you go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. To put my two cents in there on the last topic, from a very utilitarian perspective, I try to step out of what operating system I was in. I had installed as a child or what I had reinstalled when I came to the U.S. Um, from a very utilitarian perspective, I want humanity to exist. I want civilization to prosper and persist into the future. Uh, and as we face more and more global challenges from global warming to this won't be the last pandemic, and I doubt it will be the worst. Um, it is useful, I think, to more objectively evaluate what types of beliefs are to be held onto and what types of beliefs should be re-examined. Uh, and in this case, you know, setting aside all the, the demonization or to some extent the knee-jerk reaction to a different political system. Um, the numbers are there in this particular case that the Chinese system saved more lives. 
Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, some people can doubt that the numbers are true, right? Like there are people who frankly just doubt everything that comes out of uh, the Chinese government's mouth. Um, but overall, from what I've seen, I do think that in this particular case, that particular system performed better when you measure it by casualty mm-hmm. and and also socioeconomic impact. The American economy certainly took a much bigger hit just as a f- function of more people getting sick and needing to go longer in this, you know, even softer core lockdown is still a lockdown. Um, you know, the, the Chinese system performed better. That being said, I, I don't think this should be extrapolated out to say that one system is better than the other in every way, mm-hmm. but it is an important aspect, I think, to evaluate because it is a global challenge um, that we're trying to manage. Mm-hmm. So super cool conversation. I really appreciate both of you guys bringing in um, your frank perspectives from both sides. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I had fun. Right, yeah. I'll meet you in person someday. Yeah, one day. And, well, and see your face. Yeah, when the lockdown's <laughs> over. Uh, I can I can do a, a quick face face shot on Zoom if yeah, you want. Flash your face. <laughs> you can see me. <laughs> if I can figure out how to turn off safe driving mode. Okay, hold on. Oh boy. Yeah.